the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Welcome to the podcast. It's the day before Halloween. It if you're is. Listening to this on its release date. That's true. Um, and I think that uh, this is what I've been waiting all year for we've, us to get to this moment where we can do Fright Night. <laughs> we've, we've talked about Fright Nights yeah. many times. Yeah. And that it is, I, I think we, it blends our love of horror and comedy and just like an overall like solid great movie all into one and it's yeah. a simple simple plot um but it just the way that it it comes together yeah we both agree we love fright night it's a good movie to watch during halloween um mm-hmm. even though it doesn't uh it doesn't reference halloween per se and it doesn't necessarily have like a yeah. super fall feel to it yeah no. um but it has that self-referential like horror movie vibe. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're listening, uh, you know today, or if you happen to turn this on tomorrow, Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! In advance or day of, mm-hmm. however, however you and listen if, to your podcast. If you don't like Halloween too, this is just a fun movie. There's never I have no idea how many times I've seen it, but every single time, never tired of it. Yeah. And just today, I texted you something. I was rewatching it and I was like, uh, did you happen to notice that um, uh, the main character's mom and uh, the vampire next door um, were drinking Bloody Marys together? Like, I never noticed that. I've seen this movie a thousand times. And I had, I had noticed, but now, of course, yeah. I'm waiting for that scene to come I had a up. great laugh at it. I rewound it. I thought it was so funny. Good job, Tom Holland. Speaking of... Well, we'll get to it. I, yeah. I'm going to bring it up later because somebody mentioned to me before. But... Um, Things to discuss about Friday night. I'm not pushing the holiday on yeah. anyone. I know some people are just like, yeah. We just love Halloween. this scary movie. That's but, all. Yeah, this is this has been a favorite. I like mm-hmm. it. I, I feel it's appropriate for the holiday, but outside the holiday, like I would have done this film. I do this movie at other, Christmas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I just think it's a great, fun, yeah. excellently well crafted film in general. A couple. So some of the things we want to talk about with Friday night. Mm-hmm. It being a vampire movie in its placement, there's just been a, a gajillion vampire movies. Yeah. From I mean, you, almost you, the dawn of filmmaking to yeah, something that probably came out like two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that like Fright Night came at a time where that genre, like vampire movies, mm-hmm. had kind of like almost have, not I don't want to say they like went downhill but like they're almost like parodies were coming out it's not like being they scary. were yeah they just they, they yeah. just the the I think like the, just the vampires weren't appealing to mm-hmm. the younger generation it became cheesy i yeah. would say and to me in my eyes and we'll talk about this as one of the topics is like fright night sort of like wasn't as well known as some other mm-hmm Lost Boys, for example, but this came out two years before that, and kind of like I think this was one of the first movies that kicked off the sort of the newer what we would consider like where vampires like turned 
uh, appealed to like younger people had like a sexier vibe like we were saying like a cool yeah hip version of a, what I a want someone to challenge us on this too is there another movie before Fright Night where this start where this change happened that we're gonna kind of expound upon later um, but Fright Night really seems to be the point in which you know through movies we thought about vampires a different way yeah it's pretty cool. Yeah, so we'll talk about we'll talk about its placement in, within this timeline of when vampire movies mm-hmm. had like a, a shift. Um, we wanted to talk about the cast a little bit because we both feel like the cast sells this movie. Yeah, you you have yeah. you have a mix of veteran actors with younger actors, and I think it's just a very smart move when doing mm-hmm. a horror movie in general. Yeah. Uh, which isn't always the case. And I think that that's what makes this movie kind of like a little bit more respectable among other. Respectable and kind of and, and special. And I think adds to the whole idea that it's very obvious that Tom Holland, the director of Fright Night, really had a, a love for the genre, for yeah. the horror genre. And he thought things through a little bit more. Yeah. And we'll, t- we'll talk about Dom, Tom Holland, too. I think mm-hmm. he said he's he's definitely like a director that is a lover of the genre. The horror genre is kind of stuck to that. It's almost like he's a fan. Yeah, he's a, he's yeah, a fan. He yeah. a fan. In interviews, you see him. I mean, he loves, yeah, he was a fan as a kid, and mm-hmm. this is like someone who was a fan of the genre that grew up making movies about a genre that they loved growing up. Yeah. And you can see that in his films. Yeah. And we'll also talk about the special effects. Yeah. Um, I also feel like it's, it, we need to mention, because we do, you know, we research, try to research the best we can before we do the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, we happen to luck out and that there is a recent documentary made called You're So Cool Brewster, it's so which is good. a feature link documentary. It is that two goes and a half into, hours. Yeah, two it's, just goes in in depth to like I've, all things. I've Friday seen night. it more than once. Yeah. I don't know about you, Justin. Um, so if you <laughs> if if you haven't seen it, it's not uh it's not super you can get it's on shutter. I have to say, uh, this isn't a, a plug, even though I would plug it. Um, it is w- one of the coolest documentaries I've seen done on a movie. Um, I mean, I'd even i I really liked Wolfman's Got Nards with uh, that was that was on uh, Monster Squad. That I mean, they're they're completely different vibes, but like those two, these two documentaries yeah. were so good that I've seen recently. But with Friday Night, I felt like this, it explores every facet of this movie yeah. and really goes super in-depth into the special effects. And it was it was during a time when um, things were changing in the special effects department of movies. And it's just really friggin' fascinating. Yeah, if you're into practical effects, the yeah, documentary can, heavily goes into that. So it's, uh, if you're into that, it'll, it'll fascinate it can, you. It can, if you were a casual moviegoer, yeah, you might. Um, you might get bored. Yeah. Um, but um, it is incredible. It's definitely fun. And anyway, we'll talk. Yeah. We'll talk more about it. Yeah. But um, I just I wanted to reference it because I feel like sorry, we, went we, on a bit. No, no. It's I mean, it's a great documentary, and I, it's one that it was worth no it's i think it's worth noting because yeah. we get a lot of our information can't, it's like you can't you're not going to find a better source than this yeah. documentary from so, the horse's mouth yeah so uh we'll ref, we'll t- be talking about that but a lot of the references we pulled from that if you haven't seen it so before we go to a clip mm-hmm. um i'm wanting to as we always do um lindsay tell us what <laughs> this movie's about fright night um so you've got your boy next door that 
discovers that there's something kind of hinky about the guy that lives next door to him. Who knows what it is? I don't know. Is he gay? Is he a vampire? We don't know. Well, we actually kind of figure that out in the first couple minutes. But um, boy next door discovers his neighbor, his very charming, handsome neighbor, is a vampire. No one believes him. Not his girlfriend, his best friend, his mom, the police, even a TV personality that's a vampire hunter. No one believes him. So we go a little bit more into the movie and we start to discover that our boy Charlie, he's right. There is a vampire living next door to him. What will happen? I like it. And this is a this is a movie that actually references the word vampire right off, right away. Yeah, like, for sure. There's we'll talk about that in the pick of the week. There's some movies that try to they're like their big thing is like we never mentioned the word vampire even though it's a movie about vampires. Yeah, this is the opposite of that. Yeah, a um, little bit with the yeah. Peter Vincent TV personality character. Yeah. So we'll go to a clip about this movie being about vampires. We'll come back. We'll talk mm-hmm. about it. And to what do I owe this dubious pleasure? The vampire knows I know about him. Or at least he will when he wakes up tonight. <laughs> what are you talking about? I have a vampire living next door to me, and he's going to kill me if I don't protect myself. <laughs> what? Come on, Eva, I haven't got time to explain. Just tell me what to do to protect myself. Uh, very funny, Brewster. Eva, please, I'm not kidding. Just tell me what to do. Don't call me evil anymore. Should I help you anyway? Look, I've got eight bucks. You help me, and and it's yours. Uh, well, far be it from me to turn down a fool's money. <laughs> uh, now, where and when do you expect the vampire to attack? In my bedroom tonight. So, Fright Night, let's get in right away to... The placement of this movie in the vampire genre, like we said, there's just been so many vampire movies and its placement. This came out in 1985. We had mentioned like, you know, we have the old vampire movies of the 30s, 40s. Yeah, like Bela Lugosi and Christopher Lee. Yeah, and and, and we, and by the 80s, we, we, 70s 80s we've had some parodies we've had mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of like yeah vampires are just like not presented in like kind of a scary way you're just like oh this is like an old thing this is like an old horror movie thing an old like folk tale I, I think one thing with vampires in general I mean even up until now which is what how we've like romanticized them is that they've always been I mean they uh, until is it until Fright Night? I'm not really sure. Did they ever appear monstrous? Other than having like a, a you know, really gnarly grill of like right. having fangs or like some type of like messed up mouth. Like, I don't recall, other other than Nosferatu, of course. Right, yeah. It's like the first cinematic vampire but that o- we can remember. Yeah, but always presented in like an older, like an older man yeah. b- like, character. You can't help but be hypnotized. Like that's one of the like the vampiric things is like you're hypnotized yeah. and like entranced by this person. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, they're the first like human monster. Yeah. And I, I think in... 
you know, whether it's from, you know, from Nosferatu on really until, correct me if I'm wrong, Fright Night, like, do we get to this point of like just a person with teeth? Yeah, and I... I no, I agree, and I mean, yeah, and uh, yeah. Please, someone correct us if we're wrong. And I mean, I think that there was like, like Martin was a sort of like a offshoot vampire movie that okay that uh, George Romero did. Um, but still, like, I feel like Fright Night is the to me it is the benchmark of, where something of changed. where there was a change where and Tom yeah. Holland, a director who grew up loving the vampire genre. Mm-hmm said how can i make a vampire movie and make it in this era you know the yeah. era of at the time modern 80s you know 1985 yeah and cast chris randon who is a you know again he's like an older guy but like this like very handsome very charismatic vampire and it it does make the movie you know and, and casting a teenager it it was a, it was, uh, to me, it's like, yeah, it's like, as far as I, as far as I, I know, the first early transition of where the vampire genre went, you know, yeah. after this, we get Lost Boys, we get, you know, we move on to, which like, we move more into like this. There's always been like some type of like weird sexuality thing with, with the vampires. Yeah. But it, it wasn't until after this and even into Lost Boys. That we, you know, we see this like transition into more like sexiness and yes, like, and, yeah. and, and I think that it really began with this or, or we're beaten over the face with this, yeah. with, with Chris Sarandon because he is so, he's so charming yeah, and very sexy. Yeah. Okay. Like, I don't think that it's just the legendary dance sequence not even dance sequence but like the club scene where yeah. he he and um the main female amanda Bierce in the movie um are sharing a moment we'll say where she is being um in you know wrapped up right. within his spirit she's she's under the thrall yeah. we'll say he was just perfect casting and i think he like yes like captured that this guy who's like so charming and attractive and like, and I think that that was something that we later saw in, you know, shows like true blood or like, Mm -hmm. you know, where you have uh, that character that's, uh, that like kind of transcends. Like where we have like true blood, which is a hypersexual show. Like I, I love true blood. Um, but it is hypersexual yeah. and it is and it is solely not solely but pretty much like i don't know 90% based on vampires um yeah i think that this this idea really stemmed out of what fright night began and then like where we are today with like yeah. twilight which is kind of like the the softer version of of what yeah. we what we started out with yeah and i think that there were like sexuality existed within the vampire genre prior always. to fright night yeah, always, always but but i do think that this was a movie that that sort of like upped the ante you know just like mm-hmm. really like dialed it up a little bit and then you know other movies like took its lead yeah um but yeah so i you know i think that its placement in this genre is is very important I think that it was like a starting point for like a new 
generation of vampire mm-hmm. based films and but to me what what this movie really does is like it it was able to not only create like a new subgenre of vampire movies but was able to also i think one of the early films that was able to blend humor like comedy yeah. mixed with scary moments in a film and have that work cuz i think that I think that's really tough to do. I think comedy and horror aren't necessarily, to me personally, don't work most of the time. You, you got to know, I think you have, have to have a love for the genre and understand um, what when you can see humor in things. Yeah. I think Wes Craven is a master at that. Yes, yeah. Um, but again, Wes Craven, like his go-to was never horror. Um, like he's he's very good at it. But it wasn't ever his go-to. And I think having an understanding of the genre that you're working within and being able to, you know, extract or at least see the humor that's maybe a little unsettling or a little like, oh, that's inappropriate. But like knowing how to like deliver it properly. And I think Fright Night does it in such a good way that it's not too, you know, in jokey at all. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 self-aware. I think this is like a really smart script and I think that's why he was able to uh, attach actors like Chris Sarandon and Roddy McDowell to this project that comes off seemingly like this teen vampire high school vampire flick but it's like no there's more going on is a very smart script and is very for a directorial debut I mean I know Tom Holland had he said he had done something like 50 commercials or whatever, but for it to yeah. be your feature film debut, probably one of them, in my opinion, one of the more solid, confident directorial debuts of a director, especially, especially for like the horror genre. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Easily. It, it was um, hard for me to believe that this was his first directorial debut. I know that he hadn't, you know, written things before this, but just like, that this is your first step out directing a movie that you've also written. It's astonishing, really. Yeah, and Tom Holland had, it, for those that don't know, had done like The Beast Within, uh, sci- wrote Psycho 2, wrote Class of 1984. Some very like genre-based horror action B-movie in that realm of... Yeah. Uh, th- there wasn't a question of whether or not the material was good. Again, I just feel like this movie has... There, there's a sensibility about it that it it just feels so confident. Like it feels like it's you're in this world, you're in this universe, and the tone. There's no weird tonal shifts. It's like on point. Like, uh, and, and 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 to me, it's 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 a fast. You know, like a lot of movies in the horror genre, they will have this. You know, they have like these lulls. You know, it's like a lot sure. of it's about like the scare yes. moments. Yeah, and I feel like this movie isn't about waiting for the scare moments we just were on this entertaining ride it's a very dialed in very tight script tightly directed tightly edited film that uh there's really no wasted moments like i feel like from start to finish we're moving the story along and anything that's happening is like entertaining it's fun it's funny it's not a perfect film but within it's universe in the genre. Mm-hmm. Like to me, it's like, it's as good as it gets. Like I, it's, it's one of my favorite movies. And I, I just, I think that Tom Holland is like the center of that. Like 
yeah. he, he he was really making things work. And it, I, I think it's because he genuinely loved the idea of this movie and loved the story and loved what was coming out of it. One thing um, I would say as far as like about the scares and the general pace of it is that I tried watching this and feeling like looking for specific jump scares, which is like what I feel a lot of scary movies rely upon nowadays. Sure. And I feel like Fright Night, cor- please correct me, um, but I feel like there are no or very little jump scares in this. And it feels like any scares that happen, you are almost like maybe we as the audience are in on it before the character affected is. It is very like eased into like I would say like the best example is what is like the the most notorious like face to come out of this which is um, um, uh, towards the end Charlie's girlfriend who's been changed into a vampire we as the audience see her monstrous terrifying face that has terrified me since I was a child but we see it for a good second and a half you know before before action ensues I feel like so much happens in Fright Night where we see the scare either, you know, whether it's Jerry Dandridge, the vampire from next door emerging from behind Charlie and Charlie's, you know, not seeing it. Or it's just these slow burn scares that are not that slow, but it's like we get a few seconds to like get accustomed to like, oh, man, what's coming? Oh, God. Yeah. I, now I think you make a good point. This isn't really a, and I know exactly what you mean. You know, it's just no. like this isn't a jump scare movie. No. And it's even, yeah, like we as the audience know what's going on. Like yeah. we don't need, and and even like all the way down to the music. Like the music yeah. is a more synthesized, guitar-driven score. It's not your. Um, generally, you would have this like piano-driven or, like, score that would, like, lead us into, like, okay, something's happening here. Mm-hmm. And even the music itself doesn't, like, dictate the the direction of, like, where the audience is supposed to go. And I think that that is a very, yeah, it's, like, a very intuitive thing to say. It's, like, this is, yeah, it's not a jump-scare movie. This is more of, like, you're along for the ride. You're giving the information. But yeah. it's more about atmosphere and it's character-driven. Uh, you can have the simplest story on the planet. Even like book, some of my favorite books are just like the simplest stories. Yeah. But if I can be invested in a character immediately, you you can keep a story simple, but you have my attention. Yeah. And I think this is a perfect example of like, you have a simple story, but you have intriguing characters that we care about, whether they be annoying, whether they be villainous, whether they be over the top we care yeah. about all the characters in this in some small or large portion yeah nobody none of the characters um are throwaway in this to me like i i understand like our main our you know uh jerry the main vampire and charlie the boy next door but everyone around them and it, yeah. roddy mcdowell is a main character but like everyone around them down to charlie's mom everyone is important I feel like. Well, uh, speaking of characters, I want to go to, we'll go to a clip and mm-hmm. then we'll come back real shortly. We'll talk about uh, our fave of this film and that's uh, Roddy McDowell as Peter Vincent. Yeah. So we'll go to a Peter Vincent clip. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about Roddy McDowell. 
we'll talk a little bit about the special effects and then we're going to move on to our picks of the week. Um, but yeah, we both agree. But Roddy McDowell, I mean, Chris Rannon, I love his character in this, yeah. uh, Jerry Dandridge, but Roddy McDowell to me is like, he, he, he brings the, the levity and the believability yeah. and the respect to this film. Uh, he really like centers everything. So we'll go to a clip of him. We'll come back. We'll talk about him. What's wrong with you? Nothing. And why are you shaking? I, I'm not shaking. You saw something in there, didn't you? You saw something that convinced you he was a vampire. Of course not. Please, Mr. Vincent, you have to tell me. Our lives depend on that. All right. He didn't cast a reflection in my mirror. Satisfied now? Mr. Vincent, you have to call the police. Mr. Vincent, shit! So that was a clip with uh, Roddy McDowell, who... Um, I think we both can agree. We love Roddy McDowell here, it, and it, yeah. I've loved him in many roles, but this is this is I think he's playing multiple roles in this movie. Yeah, and I think it's like a clever role, and I think that he really sells this film. Does he have the strength to help Charlie? Does he have? Yeah, can he be? the character that he portrays on television that we've seen as an audience that he is definitely not in real life. And it's almost this, um, like, you know, wizard of Oz, cowardly lion, um, character that he's playing and that he even says, you know, I, I'm not courageous enough to take this on. Like he, at this point when he, when we find this out about him where he's like, I'm too scared, Charlie, I'm not taking this on. We know that he's already been confronted by Evil Ed, or Ed, Charlie's best friend, who's now been turned into a vampire. Um, he's already been confronted by him and is completely terrified. And he's like, uh, I've been an entertainer my whole life. Yeah. I don't believe in vampires. And now I'm confronted with an actual vampire situation. And I'm terrified and just want to stay in my apartment and never leave. Yeah, and I and I and I think that's what makes the movie Yeah terrifying what... in some ways because as as a teenager or as the, the younger person in the movie, mm-hmm. they're looking to this in a, to this adult who seemingly has experience in this background and they're like, Hey man, we, we need you to guide us like you're the person with the expertise, you're the person with the wisdom. Mm-hmm. And to have that person be like, yeah, I'm out. This is like, it's almost like creepy for me. But, it, but then to go for him to make the 360 and be like, you know what? I do have the strength. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm going to show up at the final hour and help you out. Yeah. And then even then something creepy happens and he's yeah. like, I'm out again. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I did. And that's what I love about this movie. It's not, it's really hard. It's, you it's it's unpredictable in that sense mm-hmm. um and that's why i love and i think roddy mcdowell man he just like plays that character I to think, a tease so perfect i think roddy mcdowell plays the the conscience of the uh, uh of the viewer of this movie because i think we all can um have that you know i i know i've talked about it before the willing suspension of disbelief when you're when you're in a situation to go okay this is my reality around me but then when you're actually in it go holy crap i can't handle this actually i need to be removed from it and we see we see that happen um with him initially and then we see it when he actually like is is involved when he accidentally intentionally kills evil ed 
Um, and we see that moment where he, I mean, it's, it's one of the moments I kind of talked about before of these really humanizing moments where we don't have horror. We don't have comedy. Yeah. We just have straight up like feeling when we're watching and it, and, and this scene is really, the scene is dragged out, not, not dragged out in a bad way, but it's dragged out in a, in a, in a feeling or in a sense to make you feel where Roddy McDowell's character is watching evil Ed die and, and he's, transform. He's brought to tears by this. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's transforming from a wolf vampire back to like the boy that evil Ed was and he killed him. And it's this really humanizing moment that I think is is the exact moment that Roddy McDowell's character is like, there's nothing else I can do except for I ran away. I ran away from Charlie being attacked by Jerry, the vamp- vampiric next door neighbor. I ran away. I was confronted with evil Ed. I accidentally killed him. Now I have no other choice but to go back to Charlie and help him. Because uh, this is the reality I'm confronted with. And even though I'm scared as hell, this is what I'm doing. And I feel like uh, Roddy McDowell, as as Peter Vincent, is the conscience of the movie. And that is us as the viewer. I, th- I think that's a, like a great way to put it. And I, and I think that that humanizing, that's the thing is like, if you're able to humanize a scene in a teen vampire <laughs> flick... Roddy McDowell is like, you know, this accomplished like actor of like the screen and stage and he can, that's, it's a thing. He, he elevates his film a lot, a lot of credit to Tom Holland's script. But like, I think that Roddy McDowell like really makes his character so rich and amazing and handles it in such a way that like, I just, I can't see. And it's again, one of those yeah. things that, you know, you hear other people say, it's just like, I just, I don't, I don't, I can't see anyone else in this role. Like you could, <laughs> no, you know, I, I, I think something too can be said and maybe this is a stretch, but I don't think so. But when you are the lead actor in planet of the apes, the original planet of the apes and through a, you know, prosthetic head that's been put on you that you can evoke such empathy through through your performance um and you are roddy mcdowell um i think that there's a lot to be said through your acting skills and i mean he's been in like i don't know like over 200 roles before he passed away his career in his career um like he's a very accomplished actor yeah and um there's something that is so special about putting him in this role of of peter vincent uh, which is we should also say um is um uh peter cushing the uh, the actor peter cushing and the actor vincent price put together in one like role is as, as, as one culmination or like a homage one, to their yes. portrayals that they had done in yeah films of the 50s and 60s yeah and so i think the it's it's so poetic and really just goes just goes back to the fact that Tom Holland like really loves old like the original like kind of like scary horror movies and harkens back to this yeah and that you know if you can't get Vincent Price for this role which Vincent Price was um he actually did hit him up for this and Vincent Price was too sick at the time um and so 
Roddy McDowell came up. And I, and I, I you know, and this is, again, this, is, uh, this may be a movie that you love and you adore that maybe you've never heard of. Um, but if you haven't seen Roddy McDowell outside of Fright Night or if you're not familiar with him, Look I him just up, take dude. this moment, encourage you, check out some of his other films. Yeah. Uh, if there were a list of, of, of actors or entertainers that have, have passed away, like a top five list, Roddy McDowell would be on mine. I would love to have met that dude. And he, I mean, he was a connoisseur of films. He had, uh, I, I think, I don't know about illegal, but he had a lot of prints of films that were unavailable. Um, he definitely loved film and it makes a lot of sense why he was involved with so many and was such a great thespian yeah. type actor. He was a really great dude. Well, um, and a big yeah. old mo. Just gonna say, yeah, <laughs> I gotta throw that in there. That's so. okay. I'm understandably so. Um, well, let's. Uh, so, Roddy McDowell. I know. R.I.P. Dude. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's he's been gone for a while, but yeah, you know, he is like I. I mean, like right now, I'm wearing a Fright Night shirt with are. Roddy McDowell yeah. on it. Thank you for that, by the it's way, an Justin. Shirt. But I mean, I'm so proud to wear this shirt with Roddy McDowell's face on it from Fright Night. So very appropriate. When you showed up, I was like, I mean, right, duh. Of course, spirit. I was gonna wear this shirt yeah. tonight. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um. Well, uh, before we go into our picks of the week, which we definitely need to move on to soon, um, we want to finally talk about the special effects, uh, which, like we said, are talked about uh, pretty extensively in the documentary, You're So Cool, Brewster, about the making of Fright Night. I've always liked the special effects, but it kind of dawned on me, and it's dawned on me before, it's not like some like new thing, but just like, yeah. you know, these practical effects have really held up you know, and like at this point we would, uh, all this stuff would have been digital. Like yeah. none of this would have been yeah. practical. And so that's why I wanted to kind of talk about the special effects in this. Cause they are, you know, if you're someone who's into practical versus digital and I'm not here to make that argument, but yeah. because the effects team that worked on this kid just come off of ghostbusters, which was a mix of like digital and, yeah. Practical effects. Yeah, it was. And they actually used like two models from yeah. Ghostbusters that hadn't been used for, for Fright Night. Yeah, and yeah. but this is this is a movie that it's it is it is you don't realize it, but it is like pretty effects heavy. You know, there's a yeah. couple of effects gags several in this movie of less is more. You yeah. know, you just these quick cuts, these like quick little effects. Quick cuts or just like ingenious ways of you know, of you know, using a retractable pencil that looks like it goes through Derry, yeah. Jerry Dandridge's like hand, and it's like really just like it's retractable, so it looks yeah. like it's actually through the whole hand. It's, it's um, I I have a great love for practical effects versus like CGI and like what we know today. Um, it's not that I don't love CGI. I mean, it's great. I mean, when it whenever something looks real i'm a fan of it no matter no matter if it's something that's that's done through makeup and and rubber and plastic or whether it's completely digital if it looks real i'm a fan of it yeah 
Um, no, that's not to say that like I um there are seventy zombie movies that look have terrible makeup and you can clearly see where the makeup line starts on the on the side of the face. Yeah. That that to me is like camp and I love it and there's like always a special place in my heart when when I can see that like that makeup line starts on your face. With Fright Night though, like you can't see that. You yeah, can't like, see that. It keeps you in the universe. Yeah. It keeps it, you within that universe. Yeah. Even even when you can see like where the side of like where the makeup starts on the side of the face, it's not that it looks like a mask or that yeah. it looks fake. It just looks like that is the natural progression of what someone's face would look like from a human to a monster, vampire, whatever it is. Like it just looks natural, yeah. which is more disturbing than anything else. And there are so many scenes with this where whether it's like evil Ed um, going from a wolf to like a vampire mixture human creature hybrid that's like slowly dying and turning back into a human um, or or with the ambiguously gay best friend caretakers subservant slave whatever he was um, Igor character. Yeah. There is this idea of just or just the sense of watching it and being like i completely believe what is happening because one it doesn't look fake two i have no basis in reality for something like this to actually happen and three like i don't see i i don't see any green screen effects even though i'm sure that there like were i mean i know that there were with like there were in some instances but um, you don't see anything like that in, in Fright Night and it makes it seem so much more real or when you see this and like knowing that there are 30 people behind that like person that has this cast of like rubber and plastic and whatever grossness melting green stuff around them that are like pulling strings to make yeah. all of this happen to make it look real because in essence it actually is real. And I think that's what, sorry, I'm making an argument for like practical effects over CGI, but like when it's actually happening, happening in front of you, there's so much more of an idea of, of me believing it than I am ever going to believe. Like I, avatar is great, but you know what? It looks fake. But to me, it's like for me, like an effect is like it's ser- as long as it serves the purpose of a story and keeps you invested in the universe. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But you're right. but to me, like what? But but to me, it's like that's where I think like with practical effects, they're just like we just need to keep you invested in the universe, and then boom, we'll cut. Yeah. You know, like with CGI now that there's so many options, sometimes I don't even know what the hell is going on. Like I get. I'm just like, where are we at in the movie? Cause it's, there's so much happening where yeah. like practical effects are like, we, we, we have enough to, we don't want to show you too much cause we don't want it to look fake. So it's like, sure. We give you enough to keep the story believable. Sure. And it's almost funny that they're called practical effects now because <laughs> it's like anything that you would call a practical effect. Now someone yeah. would be like, well, that's impractical. We're going to do it yeah. digital. You know what I mean? We'll Completely. do it CGI. There's so many of these dudes, and I and I say dudes because I'm pretty sure it was basically all dudes that did like the 
practical effects for yeah. for Fright Night um, that really speak so highly of their experience on this because they were all um, because like Fright Night was not something that was like um, high on the docket of like getting a movie out there. Yeah. So the these guys were like newbies. And they were kind of like learning, but the effects that came out of this were like all of these like brilliant young minds that came out with effects of like, okay, I can draw this. I can make this happen. I know what, what things need to happen in order to make this actually a reality and I'm going to do it. And like you said, they were coming off of Ghostbusters. So it's like, we kind of have a little bit of an idea of what we're doing anyway. And I think Fright Night is a really good example of when practical effects actually, I'm going to go on record. Practical effects are better than CGI and make me believe it way more than anything else any day. And I, and I just to kind of close on this and and bringing Tom Holland back into this, is it um, there are a lot of effects gags that happen. And as when you bring someone in who's a director, that's not their thing. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like they have to believe in the crew. And I think that there's, again, Tom Holland wrote these. He was a fan of the genre. He understood, like, I need to, this is a, this is, I'm not an effects guy, but like I'm, I'm coming from a world, Mm -hmm. a fan of a genre that is effects heavy and was able to, uh, assemble a crew, you know, not just actors, but a crew to, yeah. to make, to keep his university he created that he wrote believable. And I, a lot of times I do feel that like some of the best horror films that I've seen, it's always like a writer director. It's not like a direct, you know, a you direct- mean person that wrote and directed. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. when there's there, especially when they're effects heavy, because the director had a, the writer had a vision and now they're like, entrusting a crew to say can you create this yeah. vision but they're like this is how i envision it because they're there they're like you know and this yeah. is how like i want to do it and to me it's up there among the best directorial debuts whether you want to consider the horror genre significant or not oh, i, come I, on. I how put could this up not? there I, I i feel as a horror fan sometimes i feel short-sighted because i feel like movies are made in a cash grab way and mm-hmm. I feel yeah. I, I, you know, and, and but the thing is, is like, I think horror movie fans are underestimated. They can sniff that stuff out. They, they're yeah. like, you know what? I don't like this. I don't like, I don't like the way this is like being presented yeah. because that's why like when a movie like Friday Night comes along, it, it like, you're just like, it, damn, it's yep, just like, this it. is, this is made for you folks that, that love mm-hmm. the genre and this isn't this wasn't made in any sort of like yeah. scheming way to like trick you into like <laughs> taking your money because we know you you you'll yeah. thinking that you'll like grab anything that has the genre tag next to it. This mm-hmm. is this is for you like in in coming from a very genuine heartfelt way. Yeah, and that's why I just don't consider this one of my favorite of the genre, but one of my favorite films of all time just in general completely i 100 percent agree so well 
we'll go on our picks. Of we got to wrap it, it up. This is, you know, I mean, it's a Halloween special, <laughs> so we're we're gonna go long. Whatever. Yeah. We love but this we're, movie. We're gonna keep so, with the yeah. vampire genre. Yeah, I think both, a little bit. We both here. have uh, vampire picks of the week. Uh, I'll come back to a little bit. We'll do, we'll do a little. Fi- we'll do a little final wrap up. But, but, uh, but let's do our picks of the week. <laughs> um, my pick of the week was the vampire film from 1987, two years after Friday Night, which I do feel Friday Night had some influence on. That is near dark. Oh, man. Your choice. Your pick was? My pick of the week is Once Bitten. And, oh, man, have I always loved this movie. Um, It's from 1985 and is essential viewing if you like Jim Carrey because he is absolutely adorable in this, despite being a horny high schooler who regularly pressures his girlfriend to have sex. Um, This is a teen sex comedy that features vampires. Uh, wherein Carrie's Mark Kendall is desperately trying to have sex with his girlfriend Robin, played by Karen Coppins, who is a 80s commercial and a random TV show regular. Um, the ever-enchanting Lauren Hutton plays a sultry, vampiric countess who must have the blood of a virgin three times before Halloween in order to remain youthful. It's not like she's going to die. She's just going to get old, God forbid. So what a coincidence that Mark and the Countess should meet up at a seedy hookup bar in the heart of Hollywood. Being at a vampire in the 20th century is a nightmare, according to the Countess, um, who doesn't actually have a name. Her name is just Countess, which is kind of problematic by itself, but we'll leave that there. Um, obviously, there's going to be a relentless amount of sex humor, somewhat in the spirit of like American Pie or Porky's kind of way. But with Once Bitten, there's a certain innocence that comes with it. It really is difficult for me, at least, to not enjoy this simple-minded, virginal vampire movie. It's not perfect (laughs) by far, Um, but I have noticed that it's a really well-paced movie, even if it doesn't take itself so seriously. Jim Carrey is, without question, the standout star. You're completely able to see his budding talents, like comedically and just as an actor. And this movie is legit funny to me. Whether it's Mark's, um, like Jim Carrey's, sex-crazed, virginal best friends, whose horniness is actually really impressive, um, the Countess's frustration that leads to comedic aggression by pushing down of teens and old ladies, or her butler or caretaker best friend, whatever he is, um, that's played by Cleavon Little of Blazing Saddles fame, who adds some much-needed, flamingly gay sashaying and regular comments about him coming out of the closet centuries ago. Um, some may find this problematic. I personally love the gay or the the addition of this gay character. Whether he's a stereotype or not, it's not a negative one. It is funny how contradictory the movie's message is on sex, though. Typically, in a horror movie, sex leads to death. In Once Bitten, Mark being sucked dry by the Countess means he's slowly turning into a vampire. One could possibly make the assumption that this could mean, in real life, catching catching an STI. Um, But at the end of the movie, it's Mark and Robin finally having sex, therefore Mark not being a suitable candidate for for what the Countess needs, which ends up saving his life, or saving his mortal life, we should say. Honestly, I don't think that this movie is ever meant to be dissected like as deeply as this, but there's a lot you could unpack here. Now, you might ask, is there anything offensive in this Lost 80s gem? Oh, hell yeah, 
yes, there's a lot of that's offensive, but we've come a long way since 1985. Um, the initial sex pressuring of Mark to Robin is a little much, but you know, it's kind of the reality of what some teenage boys actually do. There is a straight up white dude playing a supposed, I believe, Native American man um, with a terrible accent that should have or could have been thought through a little more before actually doing it. Um, also a super uncomfortable scene that actually could have been more offensive. I mean, really, if we're talking about 1985, could have been more offensive, um, involving a cross-dressing man hitting on one of Mark's friends at the hookup bar. Um, another unfortunate incident that happens with naked high school boys in a shower leading to some really bad gay slurs. And even from a female point of view, the Countess herself is super one-dimensional, but this movie was kind of written, I mean, not kind of, but it was written by all men. So, like, she's vain. Um, like, her single purpose is to find a virgin through her sexiness. I know that this, all of this sounds super problematic, and I'm not defending any of the subject matter or the language used, but you really have to do take into consideration the time in which this movie came out. Speaking of when this movie came out, there is a blink uh, and you'll miss it part uh, where Mark and his friends go to Hollywood to find the hookup bar where they pass a movie theater and we see Fright Night on the marquee of a theater. It seems too uh, obvious and intentional for this not to be an accident. I like to think that it's not an accident anyway. Um, so I own Once Bitten on DVD. I have it taped from TV on VHS. I truly do love this movie, despite it being totally offensive on some, on some levels. There's something that's just still endearing about it. It's not deep, but it actually is kind of funny. Um, it's also, uh, the beginning of Jim Carrey's career. So it's kind of extra special. Justin, do you remember this movie at all? So... (laughs) As, I brought it for you in case uh, you didn't. I'm glad that you did because <laughs> as always with your picks of the week, which I'm actually really excited with my pick of the week because yeah. I actually for the first time have like got a movie that like not only that you're unfamiliar with, you haven't actually seen. I feel like such a jerk because I haven't you know, seen Near Dark and everyone I know it's that's perfectly fine but usually you have these picks of the weeks that i like haven't seen forever and and then this again once bitten is a movie that i probably saw like 10 times as a kid on television yeah and the app some probably sunday afternoon um but i haven't seen it since then so i'm curious to to rewatch this i do remember you know post you know in the last whatever remember that Jim Carrey was it, it got more popular basically after Ace Ventura hit that yeah. they were like oh let's dig out all these gems that he yeah. did in yeah, his early it career. is easy to forget that Jim Carrey did like 10 a decade yeah, worth of films totally. before yeah. Ace Ventura hit yeah um but no I'm curious to rewatch this I haven't as soon as you said that was your pick of the week I was like <laughs> you got me again. This is like you're always like some movie I'm not gonna no, watch in this. Week, I can't but. wait to watch in your dark. So will you um, tell me? Tell tell me and everyone about Near Dark. I will please. tell you. Um, so Near Dark is a 1987 vampire movie, and uh, I would actually consider this movie like almost in like the western genre. It's like a western action vampire film. Really, really genre mix here, um, but an extremely handsome cowboy, uh, 
meets an, a very attractive girl and she bites him. He starts getting uh, very sick. She's rolling with this band of just like what I would consider like road vagabonds, like sort of like they're, they're just kind of drifters, road drifters, uh, very gritty road drifters. And they pick him up and they give him like basically like she says, hey, I've bitten him. He's 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 one of us now. He's like a vampire. And they're like, well, we'll give you a week to prove your worth or we'll just kill you. And so Damn. he so this movie essentially takes place over a week and he's kind of trying to prove that he can help this this crew of, of vagrants out and uh, essentially his family goes on a hunt for him and it comes down to the showdown there's a couple of moments of, 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 of intense action so it's like the family versus like this vampire not so crew? much it's mainly like his 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 dad comes looking for him with his younger sister but there's a little more to it but the, the the story is fairly simple it's like him coming to terms with the fact that he's a vampire and then his dad somehow figures out a way to reverse that uh through a blood transfusion so there there there's some you know suspension disbelief situations going on but ultimately the the plot of this film is so similar to lost boys i've always kind of and this was a movie i saw as I saw this the same time I saw Lost Boys and I've always near dark to me has always been like the it's like the Lost Boys has always been like the pretty high production and I love Lost Boys we, we did it for the podcast Lost Boys has been like the high production pretty uh, high-end punk fashionable vampire film and near dark is like the low budget gritty dirty punk vampire film um, that doesn't call itself a vampire movie, and uh, it, it 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 it's directed by Catherine Bigelow, who when you know this is I think it's like her second film. She won a, she won an Academy Award as a director for The Hurt Locker and directed Point Break, which is also one of my a movie that I just absolutely adore. And this movie is a very confidently directed, very dark, darkly lit, uh, atmospheric movie. Again, simple story. Um, one of this one of one factor of this movie that is interesting, and another way for us to bring up aliens because we always try to find a way. It seems like to bring up aliens in one of our podcasts. But uh, Catherine Bigelow was, uh, I believe, not quite married to James Cameron, or she eventually married James Cameron. But anyway, this movie came out a year after Aliens, and James Cameron suggested to her. Hey, I just did Aliens with this great cast. You should use them for Near Dark. So three of the cast members from Aliens are in Near Dark, including Bill Paxton, who is basically doing like his like best version of like a flamboyant psycho. Um, he he's he's really like a great him and uh, Lance Hendrickson are like great in this film. It's worth watching. It's it's definitely a movie that I feel like a lot of people. It's it's I, I think it's like kind of considered a cult classic. It's definitely, definitely it's definitely a movie I feel like if you've never seen and and I can understand like how it's gotten this like cult sensibility to it. I do believe that it's if, if I'm putting myself in a perspective of like you've never seen this movie and you've just heard about it, it's probably not going to like blow you away. You know what I mean? It is a very simple kind of like fast-paced dark movie. 
I, I, I really enjoy it. But if you've seen a hundred vampire movies, this probably isn't going to give you any, any like new perspective on the genre. Cause it's, it's really, again, it's, it's one of those movies that like in essence, like removes any kind of lore, any kind of like story about vampires. Again, it doesn't even mention the word vampire. Uh, it just happens that these people are vampires. Um, but it's worth a look. I enjoy it. Um, so near dark, I'll loan it to you. I think that it's, it's one of those movies that I've always heard about and I've never had access to it. I think for some reason it falls in with a, a, a group of movies that like a lot of people love and have a particular affinity for that just never reached a, a status of like being super accessible. Yeah, this is one I think that was, this is one to me that came to me via, I remember as a kid, uh, this was like on a tape of like three movies that someone had dubbed like three movies off cable and Near Dark was on that whatever tape and I, that's how I I heard of it. But this was not really one that I, this is not one of those movies I remember like going into the video store and like, oh, I remember the cover of Near Dark. So I feel a little bit like a schmuck. That I haven't seen it. I don't think you should feel that way. It's understandable that that you would have missed Near Dark. I think it's it's just it's it's one of those movies that I, I don't I don't think has been in like even like pop culture wise. It's just, what? Yes, it has. Really? I, yeah. See, I never really hear anybody talk about it. I mean, it's super popular. Like okay, okay, especially when I've Bill. Ne- I'd never hear people it, talk w- about Near Dark. Just recently, I mean, not like recently, but like when Bill Paxton died. What was that like last June? I can't remember. Yeah, last year, um, when he died, and I like was doing the movie screening like at the bar that I was doing. Um, a, a, I think it was our mutual friend Sean that was like Near Dark. You should totally show that. And I was like, no, I'm going to do Weird Science and Aliens because yeah. those are the movies I like him in. Um, mm. But it was Sean that brought it to my attention that like maybe I should have shown Near Dark instead. Yeah. Well, then maybe you should feel like a jerk for not having seen it. Um, so anyway, those are our picks of the week. Uh, Near Dark and One Spitten, both in the vampire family. Keeping it strong this time. Yep. So... Well, we'll do our final thoughts soon on Friday night. Um, I, I'm I'm curious for this uh, Murray moment. I, I, <laughs> you know, it's it's it's. I was I, I'm always curious what you're gonna do, but I was like, it, it's our Halloween extravaganza. So, so I was I was I was very wondering what was gonna what was gonna happen here. But this is your Murray moment. <laughs> Because I rarely wear underwear, and when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're gonna come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes embrace all striking. Instead of maybe like a straightforward Halloween route, because we all know, well, anyone that loves 
Saturday Night Live knows that Bill Murray did some Halloween costumes in his time. But for this go around, I decided to go a little bit more obscure. And believe it or not, Justin, there is a connection between Billy Murray and Roddy McDowell. Maybe you don't know. Um, in 1977, Billy did a short called Three Chairs for Lefty, a six-minute prison parody, which prison parody, okay, and amongst a ton of fake movie trailers. I first found this bit on a movie called Quackers. I later come to find out that the movie's also called Loose Shoes or Coming Attractions, and it's not a really good sign when a movie has three titles. Um, which makes sense that I'd find it for a dollar on VHS with Bill Murray's face blasted on the cover, touted as the uh, star of the movie, when he's actually only in this short and it's a 74-minute movie. All right, anyway, moving on. Pause that moment for a second. And let's fast forward to 1982. Saturday Night Live was in a little bit of trouble in the early 80s. Lorne Michaels had left um, the series from 80 to 85, and so had a number of the show's stars who had become marketable and successful because of the show. Billy left in 1980. And in 1982, actor Steve Martin had the bright idea to create another type of late night pre-recorded sketch show called Twilight Theater. Um, the first of only two episodes um, aired one Saturday night in replacement of an SNL rerun. It was hosted by our beloved Fright Night pal, Roddy McDowell. Um, as an aristocratic lover of film sitting in his lavish chair with his smoking jacket and pipe. I'd also like to think that this is kind of like what Roddy McDowell was like in everyday life. I don't know if I'm right about that or not, but you know. Um, it's also uh, an aside... Um, that the show featured a kind of who's who of the cast of familiar faces. It's almost too much to bear how many famous people you might see in looking back on this. Um, all right, so Roddy McDowell introduces this new segment. And of course, nothing is actually, quote, new on this show because it hasn't existed before this episode. Um, but this new segment is called First Film. Roddy McDowell says in this rare first cinematic appearance of actor Bill Murray in his 1934 film, 34, 1934, let's get that, this 1934 film, Three Chairs for Lefty. To think that this short from uh, 1977 um, followed Billy around for five years is almost unthinkable. Quackers wasn't even released until 1980, or 1980 um, presumably only because Billy had become successful and I'm guessing um, it was a way to capitalize on his fame. And for those of you who don't know that Quackers is um, most known as like a bad version of Kentucky Fried Movie, which was um, the first of the uh, movie trailer parody uh, genre that existed uh, in 1977. So, um, a truly long way for a short sketch, six minute sketch, I'm sure wasn't meant to be much more than thought and probably never would have been, um, had Billy's career not taken off like it did on the off chance that, um, maybe, I don't know, Billy listens to this. I'd really love to know your thoughts on the twilight theater shooting star of a show or heck like good old lefty for that matter like where in the hell did that story come from um drop us a line dude it'd be cool if you were listening and you could like give us some insight and for those of you who are interested in listening to this 
um look up this sketch um it's definitely out there on the uh internet land it's a weird one like i don't know if i really laugh at it i'm just kind of like what's going on anyway I didn't. I I I wasn't. I was not thinking that you were going to connect it to uh, Roddy McDowell. I was thinking you're going to pull out some sort of Halloween thing. You always. I'm always surprised that I don't. I don't know about this. It is, I mean, is it on YouTube or? Um, I forget where I found it, but you can. I'm. I'm sure you could probably find it on YouTube. Um, this movie is, was mass marketed, so if you can find a copy of the movie, it's okay. out there. I bet though it's not like a super copyrighted thing. If you were to look up three chairs for Lefty, you'd be able to find it in Bill Murray and his all strangely drawn on eyebrows glory. It's real weird. It's black and white. Like it's admittedly kind of like not very funny. And just sort of out there. It's just kind of out there. Yeah. And I mean like the whole Quackers movie in general, just like, the idea of fake movie trailers you've either got to be real good or really that's it or it just sucks you know it's 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 got its place but no i'm glad you i'm glad you uh brought that to the light if anything roddy mcdowell bill murray connected forever yeah, yeah. even when he thought that they couldn't be they have been i don't know how you do it i want to know what twilight theater is about i really want Mr. Bill Murray to let us know what that was about. Or Steve Martin, call yeah. us, dude. So clearly didn't take off. It didn't. Two yeah. episodes. Someone's got to know more of a history than I do. Yeah. And I I tried to do as much research as possible, but um, couldn't find more on it. Well, that is your Murray moment. Uh, did you have any final thoughts on uh, Fright Night before it, we close it out? A tiny final thought. Okay. Um, actually, with Fright Night and with my pick of the week, Once Bitten, um, both movies are worth checking out their soundtracks. Um, the Fright Night soundtrack, uh, whether it just be like the uh, orchestral music that comes along with it or the um, bands that were kind of created for the movie that had all of these songs that were, um, you know, meant to further impact scenes that were, that were happening in the movie. Yeah. Um, even the Jay Giles band, which Jay Giles band was like a big thing in the eighties, which was the title song Fright Night. The Fright Night soundtrack is awesome. I feel like it's like so quintessential eighties and so synth heavy. Yeah. Um, just awesome. Like, um, electric violin. There's just, a lot going on in the soundtrack on maybe a lesser scale the <laughs> the soundtrack of once bitten with jim carrey the pick of the week um is maybe a little bit harder to find yeah but you could definitely find one to five songs that were on the soundtrack yeah um whether it is the the theme song by a band called three speed um called once bitten or, um, oh man, I'm forgetting the name of the band right now. It's like Maria Videl or Videl, um, called The Boy's Mine. Not okay. the uh, Monica Brandy mashup, not that one. But um, there are so many songs in this movie that I feel 
every time that a, a song comes up in it, I'm like, why wasn't this like an 80s hit? I have no idea because yeah. they're all so good. Um, so my final thought is um, check out the soundtrack for Fright Night, which is probably way more accessible yeah. than Once Bitten. But the Once Bitten soundtrack has a lot of uh, what you would want to play at your 80s themed party yeah. next time you have one. Well, hopefully for in my life, that won't be too far off. <laughs> what's your, what's your final thought? You've got got uh, something, Justin? I don't really have too much. I just wanted to kind of say that I was excited that we were doing this movie. I think you know yeah. we kind of already said this, but like this this and Monster Squad were like kind of the I think the two cornerstone. They're like the bookends of us, yeah, teaming up to 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 do this podcast. Yeah, and so it it, it it's it's. It's been a a pleasure to to talk about this movie with you. It's been one I've been wanting to to get into. And um, if you kind of stuck with us, or if you've you've waited this month out, <laughs> um, you hopefully know, not. Yeah, hopefully not. But um, p- you know, please stick with us. Uh, uh, we're we're going. We we've got some surprises coming yeah. up. We've got some non horror movie. Uh, genre movies coming up that we're going to discuss we're we're going to go all over the map but but uh it's undeniable like october and horror movies are in our blood we had to we had to get it out of our system but what we have you and i have talked a lot about is that like with um horror movies of october we've kind of gone the horror light like realm yeah which, like i we this, talk- is, this is yeah something that I, I i love that i don't know if it's you dub this or i don't know if came i came from, up with it or not i just the, started saying the it. word horror lights uh was well, i've never heard it till you mentioned it but uh, we kept the movies horror light and i and not in a negative i don't consider no, it a negative no. term but in a movies that if you were like hey man i hate omar i hate horror movies I would say, well, try give, this one. Give Fright Night a chance. Give yeah. Pet Cemetery a chance. You know, like these are movies that that aren't that teeter totter on the on the, on yeah. the realm. Where it's like, yeah, they're a little creepy, a little frightening, like whatever involves some visual effects that might not be like the most appetizing things to look at, but they're good movies, and this is why they're good to watch but they're not necessarily like complete gross out gore like gonna make you like okay i'm gonna have nightmares for the rest of my life and you know i would like i would would hope i would hope that we that we you know we're intentionally trying not to steer anybody wrong yeah you know we we want it to be like something that you want to watch and nothing that you're turned off by yeah but uh friday night to me again outside of the genre uh this is one of my faves. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I adore this film. I've watched it once a year for the last. I did. I don't I know. even want to say how many years, but my my VHS just went bad this year, and I just bought the DVD. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of a little like, oh man, that VHS just went bad. Yeah. Crap. And if this is a movie that you love and you haven't seen the documentary, uh, you're so cool, Brewster. Um, I highly recommend to check it out. It's it's it is worth your time, and it's 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 really well made, well put together. And there is just 
the amount of, of behind the scenes information available in this documentary is yeah is is pretty uh if you're a movie amazing. nerd yeah. go for it like it's worth the two and a half hours it's so good so we're going to end our uh month-long horthon again if you stuck with us we appreciate it if you've been listening this whole time we appreciate it um, but our next film uh, coming into November is uh, a pretty controversial movie. And I'm actually, it's one of actually, uh, I've mentioned to a few people and it's already turned people <laughs> off that we're doing it for the podcast. I know, me too. Uh, so, uh, which made me even want to do the movie more. Totally. And that's uh, Larry yeah. Clark's Kids um, from 1995, uh, which is a movie I saw in its theatrical release and yeah. shocked me then and uh you know, I watched the when we were, you know, I've watched it in the last two or three years and kind of shocks the hell out of me now. So yeah. it's, it's definitely one that has not lost any of its, uh, its, its punch. No, I, I saw that as soon as it came out on VHS to rent and it affected me yeah. very deeply. Yeah. I think we'll have lots to talk about. So, yeah. I'm uh, excited about it. So, so yeah. So it's coming a stark up, difference. Yeah. De- definitely, definitely, uh, we're, we're coming it might out be of, the darkest we've gone it despite might be, all the horror movies we've talked about it might be yeah <laughs> so so uh, you've got that to look forward to yeah the the last six months has been great we've had a lot of feedback we've had a lot of emails um you know some of you some of you that just reach out to say hey been listening how's it going thanks a lot uh it means more than you know so yeah, we're glad truly. we're you know it it, it, it keeps us uh, engaged um, if you want to reach out to us, uh, we're e- real easy to find, uh, quick to respond. Mm-hmm. Find us at don't push pause podcast at Gmail. If you want to email us directly, um, follow us on Instagram, don't push pause podcast on Facebook as well, or go to don't push pause If you want to connect to us, um, see what's going on. And we've also gotten a little crafty with, um, creating some of these, uh, we have these handmade boxes where we deconstruct a VHS box and kind of uh, shellac that. Um, stain the boxes. Stain. Get a little crafty. Yeah, we get a little crafty. Um, make the box, uh, the VHS box, adhere to, you know, a keepsake movie box yeah. that has the VHS inside. And uh, quite a few of you have already... Uh got one of those from us we we appreciate your purchase and we we have a a lot available and anything that maybe we don't already have if you if there's maybe like a favorite movie um of yours that we haven't talked about or we have talked about we can make something happen for you yeah and all and all the uh all the money that we make from these uh goes in to help funding to keep this podcast uh as high quality as as you know as, as we like to to you know continue yeah. to, to um make it you know the best that we can the highest quality that we can and uh, all of you that have purchased one of these um you've made this possible yeah, you, 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 you're helping us out keeping us going so uh we thank you for that um but until uh next time uh happy halloween i'm justin johnson Ooh, i'm lindsey reaper happy halloween thanks a lot